All right, we're in, uh, we're in uh, Joshua 23 and 24. I think we're going to finish it up tonight. Um, but before we get started with the, with the specific chapters and going through this, uh, it's good for us to remind ourselves that what we hold in our hands uh, is, is, are the very words of God. The, the Hebrew understanding of, or the Greek understanding of uh, that these are God-breathed is that this is the breath of God. The words are the breath of God. Um, one of the things I'm praying for me and for our church is for a renewed enthrallment with his word. With a new surprise and a new wonder and a, and a new love and a new passion to, to, to be in this. I, I think most every Christian would say, man, if I could just hear God's voice, if I could just... And I think God says, I, I've, what more do you want? I've given it to you. And, and it is so simple, yet so profoundly deep at the same time. Um, and so when we look, when we open this and look at it, um, I, I really want us to remember, and, and, to, and to as we interact with this, that through very fallible people and through their own personalities that God gifted them, he breathed this into being. These are his words. This is his, this is his breath. He breathed this into being like we are entering into the holy place of the words of God is a big deal. Uh, and and I, I hope we don't get too comfortable with it. I hope I don't get too comfortable with it. Uh, verse, chapters 23 and 24, they're very, very, very similar. Um, some would say and have said that they're, uh, the, the, the 24 is just a retelling of 23. Others would say these are two separate events. Um, I think they're two separate events, but they're so, so similar. Um, we, we've seen the people enter the promised land. We've, seen, we, we've made the, uh, the correlation that the promised land is a representation of the spirit-filled life. And, to, and, and, and though, though the spirit-filled life of the Christ follower is the inheritance of the Christ follower, there's, there, there's things that the Christ follower has to do to possess it, to enjoy it. There's still battles that have to be fought in it. We're at the end of uh, Joshua's life, and um, he addresses God's people one last time. Uh, and in chapter 23, after a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then old and well-advanced in years, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, officials, and said to them, when verse 1 says, after a long time had passed, I, who knows how long this had been. Mm. We know it's been 20 years since they entered. It took seven years uh, just to do the initial conquering of the land. It took another 13 to take possession of it. So we know that it's been 20 years since they even entered the <coughs> land. Who knows how long after it had been. What we do know is that Joshua is well advanced in years. Uh, we'll find out later how advanced he is, but he is advanced. Um, a long time has passed, and God had given Israel rest. Uh, if, if you're a Bible underliner or circler of words, rest is one of those you should do that to. Rest is the entire theme of the conquest. It has been God's effort to give his people rest in the promised land. And that rest represents resting in the spirit-led and spirit-filled life that we've been promised. That rest is a big deal. God wants to grant us rest, not in activity and duty, so we're right, but rest in what he's already done and delivered us into the spirit-filled life. He's given, God's given them rest, Joshua's rule advanced in years. He summons all these, the leaders, and he says, I am old and well advanced in years. 
I don't know if you've ever thought about, if I knew I had one last message to give to people right before I died, what would it be? I don't know how many of us would start out, hey, I'm old and well advanced in years. (laughs) You'd think that would be obvious. But the fact he's so old, maybe he forgot that it's that obvious. And you know how old people get. They just say that. (laughs) So he's like, hey, by the way, I'm old. They're like, yeah, we know. We can see. (laughs) Sorry. It's one of those senior moments. Um, You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance uh, for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered, between the Jordan and the Great Sea in the West. The Lord your God himself will drive them out of your way. He will push them out before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised. Um. One of the things that we've got to understand is that we only participate in the work that God is doing. We don't do the work God is doing. We just participate in the work God is doing. And one of the things Joshua is doing for the people is reminding them that everything that they've done, everything they've been a part of, all the work of their hands is the fact that God has done it. It's not their hands, it's not their strategy, it's not their might, it's not their strength, it's not their ability, it's not their presence, it's nothing. The Lord has done this. The Lord your God has done this. He has fought for you. He himself has entered into the story because it's his story, it's not your story. And one of the things we have to remember that it is our privilege to participate in what God does. But it's him that does it. So what Joshua says, because the Lord has done this, he's fought on your behalf, he's entered into this. It's his story, it's not your story. Verse 6, be very strong, be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Where does that sound familiar from? Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Be strong and courageous. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey everything in the law. Don't turn to it from right. These are the words that God told Joshua. And it's interesting. After God told Joshua that and set him up as leader, the people came after God and said to Joshua the same thing. Joshua, you lead us. Just be strong and courageous. And so now, after all this has happened, he's an old man, well advanced in years, and now he's now telling the people, be strong and courageous. Don't turn from the the, the book of the law of Moses, not to the right nor to the left. He says, do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. Um, There is a prominence associated to obedience. The fact that they have possessed the blessings in the promised land um, if they want to continue possessing the blessings of the in the promised land, they have to continue to be obedient. God has done it. He's provided it. He says, but if you're going to enjoy it, it's predicated on your obedience. My promise is firm. It's set. But you can walk yourself out of the joy and blessing of my promise by disobedience. Um, there were many times in Israel's story 
although they were in the land of promise, that they did not enjoy the promise and the blessing of God. And it wasn't out of God's negligence. It was because of their disobedience. And I think sometimes because we're on this side of the cross, we think, well, that doesn't apply anymore. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, it does. Now, now we don't enjoy the salvation, uh, salvation based on our obedience, but we certainly enjoy the continued blessing and favor of God. Not because we've earned it because of our obedience, but because by disobedience, we take ourselves out of the umbrella of God's covering. And they're just natural consequences. Not that when we're disobedient, God says, you're disobedient, zap, I got you. But you're disobedient, so you're going to garner consequences on your own. The Bible says for the Christ follower, now therefore there is no condemnation. So God doesn't have to punish us because of disobedience. Our own consequences will do that just fine. And and so there's a high premium uh, placed on obedience. And I think Joshua is reminding them, be strong, don't turn the right off, don't associate with those nations that remain among you, don't invoke the names of their gods, don't swear by them, don't serve them, don't bow down to them, because he knows what they're capable of. Um, he knows that he knows what the temptation is to join their ways. Um and one of the reasons he, he warns them to not to join them is because the land that they're taking over, the civilizations they're taking over, are so much more advanced than what they were. And so the temptation is to, is to step in and look around and think, look at all the stuff that they have. Look at everything they're able to do. They don't worship God, but they certainly seem like they got stuff going on. So let's take what we do, match it with what they do, and get the best of both worlds. Does that sound? Mm-hmm. Does that sound like what some people you know might do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love God. I love Jesus. I'm at church. Yeah, but there's some. I mean, there's we could do some things differently and get the, get the best of God and the best of the world at the same time. And he's saying, look, you're going to look around and see it. The grass looks greener over there. Well, and listen, if the grass is greener. The water bill's higher and it got more manure. So we just got to be careful that that it's not like, uh, well, I want God. I want, I want the Jesus thing, but I want, there's a lot of other stuff out there too. I want to add on to that. And he said, don't do that. One of the things that we'll see in these two chapters, and if you look back, you'll see it all through the, uh, all through the Bible, Old Testament in physical world and New Testament spiritual. There's this principle of separation. And you have to understand this if you're going to understand more fully Scripture and the commands of God. It's the principle of separation. God constantly calls people out of to be separate from where they were. When he started with Abraham, Abram, leave the land of the Chaldeans and go to the place. Come out, be separate from. With his people in Egypt, come out and be separate from. It was when they came out of Egypt that they were called together in the desert where the church, where, where, where the, honestly, the church, God's people were born. The, the, the word for church, Greek word for church is ecclesia, two words, ecclesia, the called out ones. It's what it means to be his church, his people were called out, called out of Egypt, called out of the world. He called them out of the desert into the promised land. In the New Testament, when we accept Christ, we're called out of darkness, out of the dominion of the evil one, into the kingdom of light. There's this this principle of separation that we have got to understand. The reason we go through baptism after we accept Christ is the symbolic called out of the world. Now, here's here's the thing we have to to really understand, though. When we're called out... It doesn't mean monastery. It means missionary. 
When Jesus' prayer to the Father on his disciples on our behalf, he says, Father, I pray you don't take them out of the world. You just protect them from the evil one while they're in the world. And, and, and so what we're talking about is proximity with the world, but not intimacy with it. And so we're in the world, but we're called out of it, but we're still in it. And, 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 and to be separate, called out of, doesn't mean we go on a mountaintop and become a monk. It means we stay in the middle of a perverse culture and become a missionary. But, but what it means, because we're called out, what it means, let, let's just see how we did. What it means is that we don't get worked up about politics like everybody else gets worked up. What it means is we don't hold grudges like everybody else does when we're hurt and offended. And What it means is the way we spend our money and invest it is vastly different. What it means is when we get the word from someone, the, the doctor, we're not fearful as others are. Maybe concerned. <laughs> but it doesn't reside within us. We're called out. We're in the middle of but called out. And, and if, you, if you go back and now read scripture, that you're going to see this over and over and over. God says, come out from among them. You're still my people, but you've got to be different while you're in. When you're amongst them, you've got to be different. Come out from among them. You're still with them, but you just, you just got to be separate. Not weird. But the agendas, the attitude, the investment. It's the principle of separation. And so he, he, he's saying, listen, you have to come out from among them. Don't associate with them. Don't do what they do. Don't invoke the names of their gods. You must not serve them or bow down to them. Verse 8, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. You are to cling to him. I love how he says, as you have until now. They had been so all over the map. <laughs> right? But please understand, one of the things that leaders do is call the best out in their people. Verse 9. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. A couple things. Who has driven out the nations? Their army? God. It's his story, not theirs. He's driven them out, great and powerful nations. To this day, no one's been able to withstand you. He's talking in broad terms because obviously he's not going to go back and talk. Well, there was that one time in AI. We're not going to talk about that. Like In broad terms, like God has done it. Why? Because the Lord God fights for you. That one of the names of God in the Old Testament is Jehovah Shema, which means he is with his people at his temple. The, 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 the temple was the dwelling place of God. The Shekinah glory come down on the ark. He was there. When the, New, when the Old Testament ends, New Testament begins with what book? Yeah, you've read it. You know. Oh, yeah, it's a trick question. No. It begins, and it, it tells the name of Jesus in chapter 1. What is it? What, it? what will he be called? He was never called this way, but it was his title. Starts with an I and ends with Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. The last chapter, and lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. God's presence is a key theme. He is with you right now. <clears throat> That's who he is. It's not what he does. 
God doesn't stay around because it's what he does. He is with you because that's who he is. And because he is with you, verse 11, so be care, very careful to love the Lord your God. Did you know that love is a command mm-hmm. before it's ever a feeling? We are commanded to love. We, most often, especially in the human world, feel like love is a byproduct of emotion. And that's why we can say, well, I'm just not in love with them anymore. I've fallen out of love. You ever heard anybody say that? Mm-hmm. Of course we have. And God commands us to love. So love has to be much more than an emotion. Gary Smalley and John Trent, I think, wrote a book, Love is a Decision. Was that Gary Smalley? Mm-hmm. One of those Christian authors. Authors. Anyway, it's a choice even when we don't feel like it. And so everywhere in the Bible where God gives us a command to do, the purpose of that command is to cause us to act in loving ways towards him. That's the purpose of the commands. Say, well, you know, if I don't feel in love, I don't want to act like it. I don't want to be fake. Well, it's not being fake, it's being obedient. Uh, So every time God says, I want you to do this in obedience to me, the the goal of that is to act in ways that are loving towards God. That's why the Bible says where your treasure is, your heart will be. So I want you to tithe. Why? Because I want you to act like you love me. Because when you act like you love me, your heart will begin to believe it. And most of us say, well, I'm going to wait till the emotion's there to do it. And God says, that is backwards. You love me. Act in ways that show your love for me. And if, because here's what happens. Sometimes we have to pull our emotions along. Right? And so Joshua's commanding, love the Lord your God. You make it a choice. And then he says, verse 12, but if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of the nation that remain among you and intermarry, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. That word, if you, but if you turn away and ally yourselves, that, that word is, is the same word that a, a, a husband and a wife are allies of each other, means to marry. When you cuddle up next to those people, those people in the world around you, when you cuddle up next to them and associate with them, it doesn't mean be friends. It means like when you enter into these relationships that you're not supposed to be with, physically, emotionally, relationally, like when you become, the when there's no difference between you and the culture, you've married up with the culture, you can be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your back and thorns in your eyes. Until what? You perish from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you. Now listen, God's promise is a forever promise to his people that it's their land. And Israel is such a unique nation in all of the world. They've been chased out and have come back to their land time and time and time again. All the way B.C. up until, you know. 1948. May of 1948, they came back. But, but before that, they were, they were there. They were chased out. They were there. They were out, they were, it's theirs. It's a perpetual promise from God that it is theirs. And they'll come back in totality again and serve God again one day. But when they reject him and deny him, he'll chase them out for a time. It's still theirs. They might have, they didn't have possession, possession of it for a while, but it's still theirs. And here's the thing we have to understand spiritually. The spirit-filled life is ours. It's been promised. It's not, we're, we're not going to lose it. 
But we can certainly walk out of it because of our disobedience. And like, 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 obedience is paramount for the enjoyment of the promises that God has already given to us. That faithful obedience is required of us. Faithful, faithful obedience was required to, 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 to possess the land and faithful obedience is required to keep the land. And for us spiritually, it's, uh, it's our faithful obedience that's required to, to, to inherit all the promises that God said, I want to just lavish this upon you, but you've got to walk with me. You can't walk away from me. And he says, verse 14, now I am about to go out the way of all the earth. I mean, I, I, he's an old man. He's got nothing else to lose. He's like, look, here's the deal. I'm getting ready to go, go the way of all the earth. As long as humanity has been on the earth, people have died. I mean, humanity does not escape death. And he says, it ha- it's happened to everybody. It's going to happen to me. And, and you have to wonder just for a moment, if this has been the story of humanity since creation, why are we always surprised when it happens? <laughs> and he's like, look, I'm, I'm, I've been blessed. I'm old, but, but it's... It's just what happens. This is my turn now. You know, with all your heart and soul, that not one of all the good promises the Lord your, uh, the, the Lord your God gave you has failed. That, that's worth underlining and remembering, especially when the days are dark and the nights are darker. Not one of all the good promises of the Lord has ever failed. Ever. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. That'd be a great thing on the tombstone. And I would love to be the old man that knows my time's coming and have one more thing to say and to say to my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids and whoever else is, has to be around me when I'm that old. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. You know, there, there's, there's, something, there's something unique and blessed that comes with old age and it's Credibility. I, I, I say this a lot to young people and old people. A young man is a theory, an old man is a fact. And when a young man says something, he goes, eh. even if it's true, you're like, ah, you have no idea the depth of what you just said because you don't have much life under you. But when an old man says something, if a young man walks in here and says, yeah, no, God, God's promises are so cool and they last and he's always do, you know, fulfilling them, we think, ah. Could you define old? <laughs> <laughs> but when someone has walked with God for decades and decades and they have the wrinkles of faith to prove it, And they say, not one of God's promises have ever failed. That, right? Verse 15, but just as every good promise of the Lord your God has come true, so the Lord will bring on you all the evil he has threatened until he has destroyed you from this good land he's given you. I I love the fact Josh is just throwing down right now. God is so good, but don't screw up. He will lavish blessing on you like you can't even imagine. But if you walk away from him, he is just as faithful to take it away and let you suffer. 
Verse 2, if you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. Listen, we cannot equate receiving God's blessings with keeping God's blessing. We can't equate, I've received his grace in the past, so I know I get it all in the future. It may well be that way. But to approach God with that type of hubris is deadly. Receiving grace does not make us immune from punishment of our sin. And they would know that. They'd receive the grace of God, incredible blessing, and then they sin and suffer the consequences of it. And I talk about this a lot. At what point does God relent his hand of punishment and chastisement? Only after we what? Repent. Repent. And as soon as we repent, he relents. And, and Joshua, he's telling them, look, listen. Don't go the way of disobedience because it's going to be so painful. You know. Why go through the process of having to repent and, and hope and pray God relent? Like, just don't go down that road in the first place. Because he is not at all above taking you out of that good land. If it means it'll get your attention. So that's, that's, his, that's his charge, his encouragement, and his warning to the leaders of the, of the nation. Uh, and then he, he, he gathers a larger group together. This is, of course, it's not all of Israel. Everybody got millions of people. That, that, that wouldn't be realistic. But certainly a larger group in, verse, in chapter 24. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Shechem is a, is a, a, a poignant place. It's got a long and illustrious history with God's people. And so he gathers them at Shechem. And see, it's at Shechem. That was the place um, where God first promised the land to Abram. Hmm. And so they gather again where the promise was first made generations before. Because now they've entered it. And he says, let's, let's just remind ourselves of where we've been and who God is and what he's done. Verse 2, Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. Let Just stay there for a minute. God is looking for a people to call out and be separate and be his own. That will love him with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love others too. And he finds a man, Terah, with a son, Abraham, living in a pagan land, who are worshiping idols. The oral tradition about Terah says that he was a maker and seller of pagan idols. And Abraham was his right-hand man in making pagan idols and selling them. And the Bible says they worshipped other gods. Now think about this. Abraham himself came and, and his family were ones that were worshiping other gods when God called them. You know what we call that? We call that grace. That when we're not in the place we should be, God sees us and says, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to call you my own. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river. You're going to notice three bodies of water as he goes through this. Okay, And each of these bodies of water were, was the symbol of things they had to cross. 
and be separate from where they were. It's, it's, the, it's, it's the principle of separation over and over and over. They had to go from where they were across this body of water. And usually in the water, in, in Scripture, water is the symbol of baptism or the Holy Spirit. Come out of and be separate from. And so he says, I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river this, uh, and led him throughout Canaan uh, and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau and I signed the hill country to, of uh, Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his son went down to Egypt. This is the, the typical Hebrew way of making a point and telling a story. They go all the way back to the beginning of the history. And, and they say, I'm, gonna, I'm telling you a story. I'm going to make a point. But to do this, I've got to go back to the very beginning. The, these are terrible um, people to be around when you just want to know the point. <laughs> Don't use so many words right now. Just, and I think he figures he's old and well advanced in years. And as long as he keeps talking, he's going to stay alive. <laughs> so he's like, i got more to say, God. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to get to the point and say it. But, so he goes all the way back to the beginning. He's, he's talking about Abraham and all these, all these kids and... And then I said, notice how many times the word I is in there. I mean, I have them circled in red. I, 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 I didn't count how many that was, but there's a lot. Why? Because it's his story, not ours. It's his story, not theirs. When he says in verse 4, And to Isaac I gave uh, Jacob and Esau, I assigned the hill country to, uh, of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. And this is where all the fighting comes in the, in the Middle East about whose land it is. The Palestinians say, well, we were here first, you know, and the, and, and the Jews say, well, you're stupid, we were here first. And, and if there were any Canaanites alive, they would say, no, actually we were, and you all took it from us. Um. <clears throat> But the fact is, it's, it's neither of theirs, it's God's. Scripture says, the whole earth is mine. And I'll give it to whom I choose. Because it's his story. Not ours and not theirs. I, I, I think, you know, we would say these days that we don't worship any idols. I think we worship the worst idol of our, which is ourself. And we somehow are so arrogant to think that this <laughs> Scripture and God's work is about us. Verse 5, then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued you, uh, pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. That's the second body of water. The first one was the Euphrates. This is the Red Sea. But they cried uh, to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea uh, over them and covered them. You saw it with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the desert for a long time. Yeah, um, so we see a couple things here. One is God's doing it all, not the people. We see these bodies of water that they're called out of to pass through to a new existence. Um, and we see a great um, understatement. You lived in the desert for a long time. How long they live in the desert? 40 years. Do you know how long the journey should have been? Two months, right? A week? Two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a game show. It's okay. It depends on what you're driving. Yeah. <laughs> it was somewhere between 150 to 200 miles. Deuteronomy 1 says it was an 11-day journey. From Deuteronomy 1. 11 days that they stretched into 40 years. It wasn't because God didn't want to bless them. It wasn't because God was reneging on his promise. Why? 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 How did 11 days turn into 40 years? Because of what? Disobedience. Disobedience. And God says, I've got this for you. All you got to do, walk with me, hand in hand, and it's yours. It's so easy. Verse 8, I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the east of the Jordan, the third body of water. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. 
When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to, uh, to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. He's saying, look, look at what I've done. When, when everybody else was against you and wanted to harm you, I turned it for a blessing. It's Genesis 50-20 with David. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. Look at what he's done. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The sins of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I gave them into your hand. The battle plan of Jericho was ridiculous. Walk in a circle and don't make any noise for six days. How about the seventh day? Walk, walk seven times as much and then blow your harmonica. It just didn't make any sense. And God says, of course it is, because it's my story. It's not yours. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings. You didn't do it with your own sword and bow. The hornet. We don't know what that is. It could be. Uh, the Egyptian army that wore down the Canaanites before they got in there so they could have a methodical place to take over them. It could be that it was the terror that seized the Canaanites because they'd heard of what God has done and, and, and made it easy for them. It could have been that there was a plague that weakened them. We don't know, but it was something. The point is, it doesn't matter what it was. Whatever it was was from God. He did it. It, it wasn't because of your own sort of boat. So watch this. <clears throat> so I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from their vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. When we get blessing that we didn't produce, what's that called? Please don't miss this word. Grace. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> Grace. When we get blessing we didn't produce or, des- or don't deserve, that's great. And this is the promised land. And in the spiritual world, this is the spirit-filled life. And God says, all you have to do, I've already given it and secured. All you have to do is walk with me. Don't turn away from me. Act in ways that love me, even when you don't feel like it. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. There's another translation that says, now therefore. Fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. He says, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Because what has he just done? Showed him how faithful God was to them. Showed him how faithful God. And in light of that, how can you not fear God and serve him? This is Romans 12. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. So here's the thing, friends. You start telling your own story to yourself of God's faithfulness and mercy and grace. My story would go like this. I was born into a family of a mom and dad that had their own demons. And by the grace of God, God redeemed them. God saved their marriage and saved their family. And by no doing on my own, gave me parents that pointed me in the direction of God. That were faithful to each other and faithful to me and faithful to to, to God. Rescued them out of darkness. So I could benefit. Called me on, on, on February 19th, 1983. Spoke personally to me at camp. And said, Carl, I have a calling on your life. Why would God call a sophomore in high school like that? Who set me up and started working in me and with me. That I would walk with him. And then allowed me to walk away from him. And still have his hand on my life and bless me and call me in tenderness and gentleness back to him. So much so that he would create this woman named Shelly to be my wife. 
blessed beyond measure of a woman who loved the Lord and has never walked away from him, who helped call me back to God, who helped secure the future of our family and teach our children about this Jesus that she's never left. Why would God then have his hand of grace on me and allow me to pastor a church in Southern California? And within a, a short myriad of, 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 of months, completely turn that thing around. Have such unity in that church. Why would he I'm, I just go I'm time and time again? Carl, in view of that, how could you not fear him and serve him? Tell your own story to yourself. Start thinking through all the things that God has blessed you with and done for you. Even when you didn't deserve it. Tell yourself that story. And then ask yourself, in view of what he's done, how can I not serve him and love him? What more do you need? What? Throw away the God your forefathers worshiped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. It amazes me that they still had foreign gods with them. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the God your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. And here's the verse. But as for me and my household, we'll serve the Lord. I, I love the fact that he says, you know, I talked it over with the wife. And we gave, we, we, we gave our kids the opportunity to choose. And, and we've decided, I love the fact he doesn't say that. <laughs> I love the fact that, we, that he doesn't say, we're just going to let them figure it out on our own. No, because a man and a husband and father sets and enforces the standard. Someone has said this, that your spiritual fervor should affect your roof. Anybody under your roof? Anybody under your roof? And if they want to move out and walk away, that's up to them. That's fine. I mean, it's not fine, but then you can do about that. They're adults. But under this roof, there's no discussion. Not putting up for a vote. I love you too much to care about how you like me. And that's the daddy's job. And if a daddy isn't around to do it, it's the mom's job. And there's no discussion. As the family goes, so the nation goes. <coughs> and I love the fact that Josh says, men, you got to lead. And as far as this roof is concerned. Um, I'm almost done. I'm going to wrap it up. I know I'm going a little bit late, but, but I'm, I mean, I'm not going to leave this little part for, the, for, for next week. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us the entire journey and, and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. And Joshua got exactly what he was asking. They tell the exact same thing. They say, we're with you, right? You, th you think Joshua has them right where he wants them. And what's Joshua tell him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can you believe this guy? Verse 19. Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. He's <laughs> like, you can't. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. 
And he will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. Do you know God is a jealous God? But he's not an envious God. And there's a difference. Jealous is desiring something that is rightfully yours. Envy is desiring something that is not yours. So God is a jealous God because his people are rightfully his and worship is rightfully due him. And I love that Joshua. Like, you can't. You can't do it. Why, why would he say that? That, that's, that, what, there, there's one school of thought that says he says you can't because he knows what they're capable of. He's like, look at his track record. You guys, <laughs> you, you talk a big game, but my gracious. One stiff neck bullhead of yucks. But they're also, I think they're just out of enthusiasm. They're not relying on God. To See, that's the other part, Charlotte. Thank you for bringing that up. The other school of thought is they're saying, we're going to do this because we, yeah, we're with you. We're going to do it. I'm going to get up early in the morning and start my diet, and I'm going to run around the block. And Joshua's like, you're trying to do this in your own strength, and you can't. This is not about you. You have to stay close to Don't get all worked up. Be thoughtful about what you're asked to. He is a holy God and he's jealous. He's not going to share you with anybody. So don't jump on a bandwagon because he will not share you. And if you start with him, you can't go back. You're called out. You're separate. Everything changes. And he will not share you. And if you try to share yourself with God and anything else, it is going to destroy you. You may still live in a promised land, but it is going to destroy you. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. People said to Joshua, no, 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 we'll, we'll serve the Lord. And then Joshua said, that's fine. You are witnesses against yourselves that you've chosen to serve the Lord. Yeah, we're witnesses, they say. Now then, throw away your foreign gods that are among you. There it is again. See, I think Joshua told him the first time, you can't do it because he knew they weren't ready to get rid of what they got to get rid of. And he, he says, okay, if you're going to do this, what do you got to get rid of in your life? Because he will not share you with anything. You know, one of my prayers for me first, and then my family, and then my church, is that the Holy Spirit, in gentleness, with mercy and grace, convicts us of what we need to be convicted of. Not so that we'll be destroyed and cast out of the promised land, but so that will repent. And, and, and this is what's happening. They're being convicted. And it's a beautiful thing when it's followed by repentance. Throw away your foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said, we'll serve the Lord. Our God will obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people there at Shechem, and he drew up for them decrees and laws. I, I, I want to finish with this last little passage just real quick. He records the scenes in the book of the law of God. They make a large stone, set it up as a witness for them. Let me jump to verse uh, 28 29. Then Joshua sent the people away, each to his own inheritance. After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. That is old. Joshua finally gained a title. What's the title he gained? Servant of the Lord. All through the first five books, Moses, well, I shouldn't say the first five, but well, since Moses shows up, Moses is called the servant of the Lord. Hmm. Joshua is called Moses' aide hmm. until this verse. There was, a, there was a, a line of demarcation that Moses was the servant of the Lord. Joshua was his helper. And at the end of his life, because of faithfulness and obedience, he is called the servant of the Lord. Finally, 
on equal ground with Moses before the people. However, there's a little caveat. Died at the age of 110. They list it. Why? How old was Moses when he died? Do you know? What was that, Scott? 120. And so they list it, the servant of the Lord, equal with Moses. But he didn't live as long. So Moses is still one up. That's why they do that. Just to make sure Moses is still the top. Joseph is, or Joshua is pretty close. But God didn't want to keep him around 10 more years like he did Moses. Verse 32, and the Joseph's bones, well, let me just finish that. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Sarah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. Joseph's, and Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem. It became the inheritance of Joseph. So they've carried Joseph's bones with them since Egypt. He's been mummified according to the custom of the Egyptians. And so he's preserved really well. And they have him, they're finally in this land and finally drawing a curtain on the promise that was given generations earlier and celebration of God's goodness and, 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 and holding true to his word, buried his Joseph's bones. And verse 33, Eleazar, son of Aaron, died and was buried at Gibeah, which had been allotted to his son Phinehas in the hill country of Ephraim. The last of the group coming out of Egypt, the last of the group that saw God's hand through Moses and Joshua, the last of them, Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the first high priest, has died and buried as well. Interesting. Let me just wrap it up with this. Moses died, and God announced that Joshua was the leader. Joshua dies. There's no leader announced. And the very next book is the book of... Judges. Judges. And I think one of the things that God was doing is saying, look, I must become your leader now. You have to learn. You have a great opportunity. You've been led well. And now you have the opportunity to learn to hear and to listen and to seek and to follow me personally. You don't need an intermediary because your one intermediary is going to be my son. Now, draw the whole thing together through the entire book of Joshua. The land was promised to the people of Israel. It's a promise of God, right? Mm -hmm. Said, this is your inheritance. I've prepared a place for you. This is your inheritance. Moses led them toward it, but they couldn't enter the promise of God by following Moses, right? Mm-hmm. He died up on Mount Nebo. Mm-hmm. Okay? He, he led them towards it, but they didn't qualify to inherit the promise of God by following Moses. They were disqualified from it. <coughs> it took Joshua to qualify them to possess the inheritance and the promise of God, Right? Moses is a symbol of the law that cannot inherit the promises of God because it seeks to earn it. Joshua had to be the one that said, follow me and I will bring you into it. I'll usher you into it. Joshua is the uh, is the the Hebrew name Yeshua Jesus is the Greek name of the same so our Joshua the law not being able to lead us into the promised land of God's presence of the spirit-filled life the law can't get us there it can lead us to it 
But our Joshua has to lead us into it. We can't get there on our own. The land was the free gift of God. Given to them, not of their own merit and not of their own. It was the free gift of God that was giving, given to them because they followed Yeshua. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Now, go back to the book of John that we're studying on Sundays. Chapter 1, verse 17. The law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Yeshua. Joshua. Jesus. Moses is a representation of the law. Joshua is a representation of Jesus. The law gets us close, points us toward the promise of God, the inheritance of God, the spirit-filled life. But Jesus gets us in it. Not by our merit, not by our effort, but by our relationship with him. Following him. If you look at the Joshua-Moses component... Joshua complemented and completed what Moses did, but never contradicted what Moses did. See the correlation? Jesus complemented and completed what the law did, but never contradicted what the law did. I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The book of Joshua is the story of Jesus and his people. And he invites us in to live in the glory and the blessing of the spirit-filled life. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And he says, if you're going to follow me into this life, you need to get serious about it. Come out. Cross over. Get rid of. And choose to love me. And you experience life and and the promise of all my blessings. That's the book of Joshua. So I would ask that you consider, as I am for me, are there things in my life that I need to come out of that I need to sacrifice have I played around on the banks of the river but not crossed over have I been interested in the promised land but not really made my tent there and says here I am Has it been one of those things that I'll take the goodness of the promised land, but I, I, I'm not going to get crazy about it? Are, are there things that, we, that, that you, I, still need to say, Lord, I'm sorry? I repent. I've been a fan, but I've not been a fanatic. You've been important, but you've not been paramount. God, I'm sorry because I certainly do not want you to level all this other stuff against me. And I know that I've got to return to my first love. And so I repent and whatever your mercy and grace will allow me, I'll take it all. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that nothing we do that would ever make you not love us. And I thank you that the only reason you would ever allow anything to be against us is to draw us back to yourself. And so in gentleness, with great mercy and grace, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would convict me of what I need conviction of of my own sin, of my own apathy, my own lethargy, my own discrepancy, my own duality, my own pride and arrogance and ignorance and 
But Father, I pray that you, for me that you do that with, with incredible gentleness and mercy and grace so that I'm not destroyed by it, Father. But I just want to repent. And then repentance asks that you give me all that your mercy and grace will allow me. And, and Father, I know that's the, the heart of some here. I pray that you would hear us and return us to you. And Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that by the presence of your Holy Spirit that you would ignite within me, within us, within this church. And in just a, a wonder and infatuation with you and, and your word that we would return to our first love. And, 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 and that we'd not walk out, God. Thank you for your mercy and your grace that's new every morning. Continue to have mercy on us. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for, Father, thank you for the picture of your son in the Old Testament. You, you're amazing. And we give you praise. In your name I pray, amen. It was a good book to study, wow. Carl. I appreciate it, Richard. Thank you. It was Jim's idea. Wow. So thank Jim. Here's what we're going to do. I'm sure Jim taught you all everything you did. He did great, man. He did great. Here's what we're going to do. Um, Jim and I were talking, and um, and I think we're going to start back in the New Testament now and go through First, Second, Third John. Since we're doing John in the on Sunday morning, we're going to do First, Second, Third John here and kind of see some corollary in the full full circle of John's discipleship. So, but we're going to take next week off because I need to prepare. Is that okay? Well, I did have another idea, and I'll leave it to you if you want to do this. My other idea for next week is we meet together, and we all talk together about the things we learned in the book of Joshua. You don't have to, but that means you got to come with stuff prepared, like act like you learned something. Or we can take it off, and we'll get ready for the second, third, John. <coughs> I want to share. Maybe I'll just be by myself. <laughs> <laughs> you need a week off. I say, you know, you deserve off. a week off. I, I'd appreciate that. Yeah, that'd be great. That's you can cool. share when you get back to you in there in two weeks. How's I'll that? I'll tell you. Okay. In two weeks, you, you share. All right. All right, so in two weeks, we'll get back and we'll start First John. Is that good? Oh, my goodness, I'm recording this whole thing. Okay. <laughs>